live from the Mixcast Anthropological Institute. It's being hit on the head lessons in here. Today we're talking about Monty Python fans. Everybody and welcome back to Phanthropological. My name is Nick G, and today we are talking about lovable lads from Liverpool, no, nope. Cambridge, <laughs> and Oxford, and in... we're talking about Monty Python. Woo! And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Huh, you are lucky to have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick Z. Well, I'd like to buy some cheese. I believe this is a good place to do that. No, no, sorry. This is the um, this is the argument department. Oh, oh well. Uh, no, it perhaps is. you. Could... No. Well, uh... <laughs> do we want to do this with three people? No, definitely not. <laughs> no. I'm not sure we can pull it off with two people. I, I don't think so. Oh my goodness! As G mentioned, we will be talking about Monty Python this week. Uh, and if for whatever reason you did not know who Monty Python is, are were whatever. We've got you covered. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of facts here to talk about Monty Python and Monty Python fandom. fandom facts. Monty Python, or the Pythons, uh, as they may be known, you know, they're just as important as the Kardashians. <laughs> Probably more important. <laughs> they were a group of British comedians who formed a surreal comedy group and created their own sketch comedy show, namely Monty Python's Flying Circus, which first aired on the BBC in 1969. The group consisted of six members who you may know from many different works, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. As a group responsible for their own comedy writing and performances, they went on to create many different works, including at least three movies, which you may know, such as uh, Monty Python the Holy Grail, Monty Python's Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Uh, there are some other movies, but I think they're mostly just sketches put into... And now for something completely different was literally them reshooting sketches from the show with more money. <laughs> so when are we doing the next cast HD, eh? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, yeah? Okay. It's coming. Bigger budget. <laughs> They also went on to obviously do five years of their television program, several specials, and many different live performances. A quote from the Wikipedia article Monty Python, which was particularly relevant as well to kind of talk about their history a little bit. Their influence on British comedy has been apparent for years. While in North America, it has colored the work of cult performers from the early editions of Saturday Night Live through to more recent absurdist trends in television comedy. Python-esque has entered the English lexicon as a result. Not referring to snakes. <laughs> yeah. I have a great quote about that. Or I'll say paraphrase, but I don't know if I'm going to remember the exact quote. Okay. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite Python uh, experiences that I, I got when I was when I was younger was uh, live at Aspen, which is really them being at the Aspen Comedy Festival and all being and being interviewed. Uh-huh. And I, I think I might have said this in other interviews too, but Terry Jones said, when we made the show, we wanted to make something that kind of you couldn't say what it really was, that it had like no shape or no mold. And the fact that <laughs> Python-esque is now a word in the Oxford English Dictionary shows the extent to which they failed at that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> oh. 
This week was interesting because when I took a look at the search data, Monty Python obviously as something that has existed since the, well, very late 1960s, mm-hmm. and search data going back to 2004 doesn't really paint a great picture. For example, it should not come as any surprise to anyone that the search interest in Monty Python from 2004 to the present has been on the decline. In particular, there was a large drop between 2004 and 2010. I don't know what happened. Mm. I don't know. Could have been anything. Just not making as much stuff. I mean, I don't think even in that time they may have done one reunion, but there has not been a lot. Mm, spam a lot. Since Google Trends. Oh, that is true. Spam a lot. Spam a lot is weird in that it's not exactly Monty Python, but many Pythons worked on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can find the individual members in different things. Oh, absolutely. Um, Terry Gilliam, I believe, was the director of the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah, 12 Monkeys, I believe, as well. What? That was like early 90s. Oh, yeah, that's true. And Terry Gilliam, actually American. Wow. So scratch my intro, not actually a British comedy (laughs) troupe. Pan-Atlantic. He was the one American, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I did find some spikes in interest while you're looking up what other people have done in the interim. There was a spike in interest in 2014, which was probably uh, Monty Python Live, mostly, one down, five to go. (laughs) Based on my reading, was they owed a whole bunch of legal fees to one of the producers of Monty Python and the Holy Grail for Spamalot. And Ah. so they gave him one fourteenth, and the court was like, well, you're an equivalent partner to the other Pythons, so he became like the seventh Python. Anyway, he was supposed oh, wow. to get a seventh, and they gave him a fourteenth, and they won, and they needed to pay the money from somewhere, so they held a big thing. That's what I read. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let me get in on the other members here. Michael Palin mm-hmm. has mostly, for the last... I don't know, 10, 15 years or something like that. Been like doing travel shows and writing travel books and things like that. Oh, wow. It was like Ooh. Michael Palin's Sahara. He's been all over the world, basically. Nice. Yeah. Huh. Oh, um, the other spikes are like kind of what you said. 2013 was a reunion to pay. No, wait, that was the reunion to pay for legal fees. Never mind. That was a different event. October 2009, uh, Monty Python, Almost the Truth, the Lawyer's Cut was released. that's right unsurprisingly if you take a look at the top 10 countries for monty python by search volume you get the united kingdom australia sweden new zealand denmark norway uh this was a surprise to me chechnya sorry i can't pronounce chechnya isn't it there's no n though so is it just chechia Maybe it's just a romanization problem. I'm just repeating what I've heard. I yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, Canada, Poland, and Finland. Hmm. Uh, no US. It's in 15th. Ooh. But like, it's not a steep slope like some other. It's like pretty okay. slow drop off. Uh, out of curiosity, does Germany appear anywhere? <laughs> I do not yeah, think it, it showed up in there. I do not know if Germans have a sense of humor or not. They did. They did make German episodes of Flying Circus. What? Man, was that to like fulfill some weird contractual obligation, or as John Cleese explained it in that same um, interview, was yeah, 
the Germans said, look, we don't have a sense of humor, but we understand that you do. <laughs> Germany just like reached out and asked them, like, can you make one specifically for Germany? So there were like a couple sketches that they were like they used the lumberjack song but in german yeah but it's mostly new sketches hmm. and they were doing it in german apparently most of them were like unintelligible in german <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> so that's maybe it never took off germany 23rd okay didn't uh didn't quite stick <laughs> No, and it it's quite a significant difference in interest. It's like half as much as like Canada. Or oh, wow. It's two-thirds or whatever. I don't know. Math is hard, guys. Yeah. In terms of the size, this was really hard to estimate because it's something that's existed for a long time. So I can only yeah. really look into how big it is today. And it's quite a bit smaller than probably many of the things that we've covered, or quite a bit less estimable. The Monty Python subreddit has about 7,500 subscribers. That's it? That's it. Man. I mean, how many times do you have to quote every line of Monty Python and the Holy Grail? A lot. Every time somebody watches it in the world. Zero, z- zero, zero times. <laughs> zero times. So between None. zero and every time. Got it. <laughs> None times. None times. Okay. I went to a different source because I was running low on data, and uh, I went to IMDb. The IMDb page for Monty Python and the Holy Grail has over 400,000 ratings. Okay. So that puts it among the most reviewed things uh, of Monty Python's, but that's still probably pretty low. Yeah. So I, I would say that the number of fans of Monty Python is probably somewhere in the low millions. Yeah. yeah. Probably dropping every day. Because, I mean, like, the way we do it is like, I don't know. The online presence is like a fraction. It's like an iceberg, right? It's like a mm-hmm. fraction of probably what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on what data we get, it can give us more depth as to like how committed are these people like Olympics? How many people went to the Olympics? <laughs> yeah. That's money. Versus, and, yeah. 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 Versus, yeah. Watching. yeah. Watch the TV show. It doesn't take a whole lot of work to like click a like button or a subscribe button, but I did find it interesting. Yeah, everybody out there listening, it doesn't take any work to click a like button. Just do it. Do it for everything you like, everything you want to subscribe to, even if it happens to be this podcast. That'd be great. That was the worst possible segue. That was so good. Please keep that in. (laughs) But but, uh, to my my real point, Uh... I found a a Know Your Meme article about Monty Python. Oh, good. And uh, I found it really interesting. That they listed out uh, the YouTube subscribers and the Twitter followers. YouTube started in 2008. had something like 272,800 subscribers when it started up in 2008. And uh, Twitter had, they had 7,000 followers when they started in 2014. Okay. But as of February 4th, 2018, they had 106,000 followers on uh, Twitter, and 569,404 subscribers on YouTube. Okay. So I just found it interesting how those numbers did jump up a fair bit. Not necessarily a huge boost, but uh, nonetheless. Also, on uh, DeviantArt. Yeah, okay. Back in 2014, there were about 13,000 individual works on DeviantArt that in some way were fan works for Monty Python. Wow. And by February 4th, 
2018, the number had hopped up a little bit to 13,700. Whoa. Interesting. What I would take out of that data with great confidence <laughs> is that it's perhaps a, a more passive fandom these days. Yeah, probably. So DeviantArt's still around. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's well-loved. Yeah, that's good. I only had one fast fact for this week because there's obviously umpteen number of facts about Monty Python or the movie or whatever, but... Most of them regular speed. <laughs> Archive of Our Own actually does have Monty Python fanfics. Okay. What? It has approximately 170 fan works. All right. Mm-hmm. The largest group of which are real person fiction mm-hmm. with about 86 works. Huh. Yeah. I think the next largest group is Monty Python and the Holy Grail with 50, and then it's just smattered over a bunch of other categories. How many different authors? Oh, it's just like <laughs> one just person writing all of them. <laughs> I didn't look into that. I also didn't look at the different categories, tags, etc., because it's such a small yeah. set of data. Yeah, I'm surprised that there are some. Yeah, it's just Eric Idle trying to promote the Monty Python brand through a different channel. Goodness. Oh, good for him. He would do it. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I mean, offhand, I also know a fast fact that is like the Python programming language is named after Monty Python. And oh. the oh, really? interpreter for Python, like one of the interpreters that comes with it, Idle, is named after Eric Idle. Cool. Oh, fun. Spam also oh, yes. yeah. for Monty Python because of its ubiquity like because of how much of it there is i guess yeah spam 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 yeah nope 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 last week before we started doing any research we had some famous last words as did our guest who should we start with one of us or or tyler our guest from last week's episode let's start with tyler okay yeah so last week tyler asked us indirectly his famous last words were how important is it to be a fan to have grown up watching Monty Python? Mm-hmm. I definitely looked into that. Didn't find anything. Broadly, we can take from, you know, the trends and the <laughs> presence of fandom yeah. decreasing as probably pretty important. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of new Monty Python stuff out there. And I feel like most of what is released is more to appeal to people who already like it. Like, they're all septuagenarians, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very solidly like a baby boomer thing. Definitely. So we're now like two generations away. Yeah, one of the articles that I was reading was about one of their reunion tours. Mm-hmm. And it was comparing it to Neil Diamond, who I guess recently like came up with a bunch of new stuff and people hated it. <laughs> so it's just like when Monty Python came and did their tour, they like took a bunch of old sketches and like put a twist on them okay so like i imagine that yeah new stuff is not necessarily a thing that's coming out i'm gonna hold my tongue for just a second but i'll get back to that all right well we may as well cut to you g your famous la- unless you dug into this um, anymore i didn't really dig into it intentionally but i kind of came across something there was a, a post on bbc talking points and um i think that the question that was just open for sort of like public debate was is Monty Python funny or is it like worth watching nowadays? And one of the things that did keep coming up was that there was a lot of 
multi-generational viewing. A lot of parents showing it to their kids and their kids actually liking it. So I don't know if that necessarily speaks to the importance of growing up with it, but I think, uh, no foreshadowing here, certain elements of Monty Python might appeal to younger viewers. Okay. I'm definitely going to come back to that, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gee, your famous last words from last episode were, why does reciting a thing that you're watching... Man, I wrote... I'm a very bad transcriber. If you're looking for bad transcription services, you can check us. <laughs> uh, I wrote down, why does reciting a thing that you're watching it make it better? But that <laughs> doesn't make any sense. I tried as many different angles on this as I could, and I couldn't find squat. No? But I know that people must have this belief, otherwise why would they ruin <laughs> my viewing of Holy Grail? Like... Man. Oh. I... D- <sighs> So all I could do is like speculate. But one thing I found interesting, and this is from the same interview, John Cleese talking about doing a tour. Mm-hmm. All right. And then I think it was 70s or 80s, something like that. It's like comedy tours were not like a super common thing, especially sketch comedy. Sketch comedy wasn't a thing. No, no. Mm-hmm. And like touring was super weird. But like he said that they did the first sketch of the night, huge like roar and applause. And he's like, all right, this is going to be awesome. I'm excited. And then silence. And he's like, he couldn't figure out why none of the jokes, like, people were so excited, but he couldn't figure out why any of the jokes were landing. And then later, during a sketch that he wasn't in, someone took him to the side of the stage and showed him to the audience, and the audience was just reciting the sketch. Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> like, just, but that's, and it's not unique to Monty Python. No. No. But Holy Grail somehow got into that, that cult movie loop. Super. Yeah, where, you know, you shout out yeah. things and everybody recites it. Life of Brian and Meaning of Life didn't, which I find interesting. I don't know if uh, Holy Grail has more... Because Holy Grail is less cohesive as a movie. It's more just a bunch of sketches set in Arthurian England. <laughs> Whereas Life of Brian is, like, more of a movie. Yeah. Meaning of Life is also just a bunch of sketches, but... Yes, but not as popular as either. I think the thing with Life of Brian was that they didn't bring it over right away or it didn't show in very many U.S. theaters because of the controversy over how it apparently blasphemed and did bad things to Christianity, which uh, having recently viewed it as a kind of uh, pseudo-research for this, I gotta say, it does not at all. U.S. is touchy about that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't understand memorizing and reciting comedy. <laughs> comedy is the unexpected. What is this? <laughs> Gee, you're in good company. Eric Idle is similarly baffled as to how uh, Holy Grail, in his words to paraphrase, has been treated like a text to be memorized in college. <laughs> yeah, it's what it feels like. <laughs> To kind of add on to that, before getting to my famous last words, I was reading about some of the early sketches, like sketches that they hated. Mm. And one of them was about John Cleese and the Ministry of Silly Walks. And they were on some comedy tour at some point. And uh, he went on the stage and he did the Silly Walks bit. And the audience, like it was dead silent. Like it was it was not funny. And and he, he didn't think it was funny when he did the sketch in the first place. And then he presented it and it 
didn't land a laugh. And he's like, okay, I hate this. We're never doing this again. And one of the other pythons were like, no, no, we'll do it tomorrow night. It'll be fine. And then they did it the other night. And it was like raucous laughter. And he's like, well, crap. Now I have to do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently he hated it right up until the (laughs) point where he had hip and knee surgery, where he can now use the excuse, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently he never thought it was funny. Like he was just like, like I'm just moving my my legs. It was a real... A real steamed hams moment. It kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the writer's two hams was like, I didn't think that I did it very well, but uh, well, people watched on. But yeah, he was he was really like bummed out about like it not getting a reaction. He's like, oh man, this is, I lost it. You know, I can't, we can't do this anymore. Talk about comedy being very brittle. Mm-hmm. Like it can just switch to being not funny. Anyway, who's going next? I got, I got lost. Oh, I can go next. Yeah, my famous last words were why do so many groups ape Monty Python given a lot of their appeal is based on absurdity and unpredictability which is kind of like thematically similar to some of the other questions that had been asked as it turns out when I started my research I was really just regurgitating a thought that I'd read on XKCD a long time ago mm-hmm. Man. so there's a comic from January 1st 2006 that's when it was posted on the XKCD website, but apparently it used to be on a live journal before that, so potentially even older. Wow. And that was the whole premise of that joke. It was a bunch of people quoting the Knights Who Say Nee sketch. <laughs> and then at some point, somebody's like, wait, why are we doing this? It's all supposed to be absurd and unexpected. And it's that unexpected that is supposed to make it unique. And then obviously the comic keeps going and like, starts the nights who say me and then it takes a twist and it's like oh no the car was coming too fast and i couldn't stop it and it gets really like dark (laughs) and then the punchline of the comics is like keep comedy surreal or something like that interesting but like when i dug into my question any further i didn't really get anywhere i can speculate as well and i think that comes back to you know it's signaling to other people that you know a thing and that this is this is known good. That's gotta be it, right? Yeah. Like when I quote The Simpsons, it's partly <laughs> because it is now embedded in my brain as a thing. Uh, well, also, certain concepts are now embedded in that way. You'd have to fight your brain to not quote The Simpsons when some people say some things. Yeah. <laughs> like it's gonna be your first reaction. <laughs> and that's a thing that, a little digression, maybe we want to believe this, maybe not, because it's describing something. But like, could could you speak into a little closer to the mic? Sorry. Oh, we got Zoop on stream. What? Oh, Zoop is on stream, and he's uh, yeah. he says also you're not able to have a normal adult conversations <laughs> without Simpsons references. It's been around for a long time, Zoop. It's kind of hard to extricate it from from language. Soon it will be our only language. No, no, emoji. Oh, that's right. Emoji oh, is the right. future. Uh, the next generation would prefer to only speak in emoji. Yeah, because Simpsons fandom was doing this. It was just eating itself and just being like, reference after reference. And then Simpsons shitposting came along and changed the game. It ate itself in a way that's like terrible, but still still inventive. Yeah, there's like a steamed hams, but YouTube yeah. video for pretty much anything <laughs> that could come after the butt. It's ridiculous. <laughs> 
So what I'm hearing is we need to do an episode on Simpson shitposting and just forget about Monty Python. Is that where we're going today? I don't want to forget about Monty Python, but we definitely do need to do an episode on Simpson shitposting. <laughs> like 100, you heard it 100% we need to do that. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. So, uh, Z still the go? Yeah, Z hasn't. Uh, Z, your famous last words were, is being a Monty Python fan being uh, the same as being an Anglophile uh, or vice versa? Or one or the other, or I don't. I I honestly only <laughs> quoted the first part. Yeah, I kind of went on when I uh, rattled it off there, and yeah, it just sort of went off in all directions. But but the core is being a Monty Python fan, the same thing as being an Anglophile, or vice versa. Well, it seems as if it isn't necessarily. I didn't come across any you know groundbreaking articles about it. Anglophiles love Monty Python. Monty Python fans love England. Nothing like that. But I found this really bizarre YouTube channel that I couldn't tell if it was sincere or just like a giant joke told over like several episodes. It is titled The Anglophile Channel. All right. It is a channel with uh, various videos relating to anglophiliac type topics like the royal family, uh, probably some Downton Abbey and all that stuff. And also a few interviews with, I'm going to throw quotes in here, real Anglophiles. What? Uh, all those what? fake Anglophiles going around <laughs> pretending they really like tea. Real? Like, whoa. I, I mean, I, I'm, I am not totally certain if that word was in the title. I am adding it because like the one that I watched just seemed so over the top that it was really difficult to tell if the person being interviewed was super excited to talk about being an Anglophile or they were just playing it up like the nth degree. But the one I watched mentioned in the title that the person being interviewed was a Monty Python fan. So I figured, okay, let's see if there's any kind of connection here. And it didn't really seem like there was that much of a connection. It just seemed like I'm an Anglophile Monty Python's English. I like Monty Python. Just connect those dots. Pretty much. And then the only other thing that I came across was in that uh, that BBC talking point. There was a uh, a poster from Yugoslavia who complained that uh, their love for Monty Python is why their friends consider them an Anglophile. So it might be the case in terms of perception but not in actuality. Like, if people know that you're a Monty Python fan, they might just assume you're also an Anglophile. I can say that. Because, you know, Monty Python's humor is very dry and brittle, and, oh, you've got to really think about it to get it. It's like half fart jokes. Like, it's... I think people (laughs) are a little too quick to say that it's hoity-toity humor. Yeah, yeah. Rewatching Life of Brian. Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff in there. But it is, and we can, we can. This might only be a good transition into the why here. Why? Because I think it is definitely something that people hold up as like this is what Britishness is. This is what British comedy is. Yeah. Because people like people think of like, oh, you know, it's very very funny. Man and woman's clothing. <laughs> Yes. That sort of thing, right? Like that's there's tons, tons of that in Monty Python. Oh yeah, 
Did you just quote the Simpsons? <laughs> quoted Family Guy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> distinction. Just, just We've probably it. quoted the Simpsons in every episode. You've no, ever I know. I know. I know. We probably have. Just it. It came up, and I was just like, "Wait, is it really that inevitable?" And and yeah. the answer is maybe. If anybody is listening and keeping track of how many times we've quoted The Simpsons and in which episodes, please email us, nick at linuxcast. Oh, you just reminded me I have to keep track of how many times you've done it in that game we were playing. Uh, I hate myself for that. Sorry, you were saying, G. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, I don't know how organized Anglophiles are, if there are Anglophile clubs, whatnot. But if there's like a, a starter pack, like Holy Grail's in there, probably. Probably. Yeah. It's been around for long enough, and it's got enough cultural cachet that it's like, this is British humor, which you need to be so sophisticated to understand. That is an interesting um, thing that you mentioned, because when I was doing the research, it didn't have anything to do with Monty Python specifically. Uh, I was reading an article, skimming it, to be completely honest, and I didn't think it would come up at, until you mentioned what you did right now, which makes me think I should have read the whole article. Oh, well. <laughs> it was talking about how the distinction between American and British humor and how today there's a lot less of that distinction. Yeah. There's a lot more cross pollination. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had asked on Cora, you know, what is it about Monty Python? Why is it so popular? And it had draw the distinction, drew the distinction between British humor and American humor as British humor being based on cruelty, usually about the, the victim being like an archetypical, like upper class person mm -hmm. an American sense of humor tending to be focused on shame and embarrassment. And while you can take a look at like popular North American television and see the distinction there, I think when you look into better shows, like if you're not looking at big bang theory or something like that, mm -hmm. then I think you approach this like lack of distinction between those two forms of humor, right? It's not like, Oh, uh, we're watching the good place and the good place is all swears and fart jokes. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's got some of that dark cruelty to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the classic American sense of humor is just like, like, like more observational, like every day. Like, oh, we we don't like to do this, or you know, we feel weird about doing this. Whereas, the, what's to deal with? Yeah, the <laughs> typical Jerry Seinfeld style. <laughs> Whereas Britain, especially post-war, was a lot of like punching up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there are a ton a ton of Monty Python sketches about like upper class people <laughs> getting getting their legs kicked out from under them. Anytime, literally. Ah, uh, Zoof. I hate <laughs> oh, that. Oh, definitely oh, no. sounds like okay. yeah. Well, sorry, I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Zoof in the chat had posted, "What's the deal with PC culture?" Uh, Jerry Seinfeld in 2018. For all I know, that could be a legitimate quote. I I don't know if if it is a legit quote. Certainly a paraphrase. It's definitely yeah. a paraphrase. Yeah. I watched one of his recent specials on uh, Netflix, uh, thanks to fond memories of Seinfeld in, in the '90s, and that's a good paraphrase. It's also a pretty good summary. I feel like we could talk about. We're not talking about <laughs> comedy fans. today or Seinfeld <laughs> fans. We tried that once, I think. <laughs> it's it's funny that you mentioned World War Two G because uh, I came across this idea of the perma hit. And that Monty Python has just kind of fallen into this area of like the late 60s where something just is permanently a hit. Uh, and in the article, it was uh, from a website, The Independent, uh, called Resistance is Futile. Monty Python is part of a 60s cultural hegemony that grips to this day. And it was talking about how like, you know, 
Well, what about back in the 60s? You know, there was music from musicals, like No No Nanette or something like that. And it's just like, or uh, other, I don't even remember. It's stuff that we don't know today. It wasn't contemporary. Yeah. Oklahoma? Yeah, maybe. Right. I don't know. And it's just like, why is it that something in the 60s is still popular today when something from the 20s, like, hasn't carried forward? And it's because the world wars created this, like, wall of cultural impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an opinion piece, but they were talking about how, as a result, anything that kind of proliferated there has kind of, like, existed for any future generation to consume. In university or high school or elementary, depending on how you were introduced, you probably heard about Monty Python that was, like, passed on and passed on and passed on until it's, like, or not even until. At the point we'd heard about it, it was probably well embedded in, like, the the culture of the mm-hmm. comedy scene. Not necessarily because it's the, the best yeah. or the most amazing or the most reason or the most experimental today but because it was and is and will always be what i find super interesting about that period even going back a little earlier it's like the 50s is that was the first time that teenage culture became dominant culture oh, yeah because you had a baby boom yeah you had a proliferation of teenagers and what they were all about that's what was hip and that was the first time that that happened and that is still what's going on today pretty much yeah advertisers learned that they could fold and crease and massage those young minds into giving them all of their money oh uh yeah <laughs> and then i think boomers created like the framework of pop culture mm-hmm. and their fingerprints are all over it still classic rock stations still just play like the beatles and the who and led zeppelin and stuff <laughs> as the same as they did 20 years ago <laughs> like what classic rock is hasn't evolved it is the same group of bands has always been and that's what gets played on the radio listening to like a top 40 station or like an old rock station or something like that but like mm-hmm. the grip of that period of culture is still being felt because those are the people that grew up then are like in power now maybe coming out of it a little bit yeah but they're still kind of on top right so we're still getting getting all that but even if they weren't the people on top when you're talking about monty python as we we saw search volume is is decreasing there's still enough people that know about it that it like it's still present enough and i apologize because like this is we're talking about something very meta compared to monty python but that's okay to be completely honest like i couldn't dig into anything specifically about monty python because i think it's more about this this permanent status of residence in in the cultural mind share (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i think a big part of it um kind of like what you've been saying to Put it, in, put it into my own words. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Is that Monty Python came about in the late 60s when there was a lot of counterculture going around, <laughs> but not just existing on the edges of culture, but actually kind of being considered hip and mainstream by that huge upsurge of, of baby boomer culture consumers, right? So like, I think that Monty Python's popularity with them is what has made it that ultra hit because it was subversive then. And because they were subversive with things like patterns and institutions or historical figures, like they never really made any sketches about like, uh, well, Margaret, Margaret Thatcher would have been too late, but if they were in the eighties, they wouldn't have done a sketch about Margaret Thatcher. They would have just done a sketch about like the Spanish inquisition or, or King Arthur, you know, 
they kind of set themselves up to be a permanent fixture in a way because they don't really do anything that's topical. They try to go past like what's immediately topical to things that are just always of concern, like religion, politics. They did a lot of like like Cold War kind of stuff, like spoofing on on the Cold War, which was yeah. what seemed like it was going on for a while. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, they also did a segment where Che Guevara, Mao Zedong, Lenin, and Karl Marx were all on a talk show, or not, a, or a quiz show, <laughs> competing for a lounge furniture set. Which at the time, like Marx, not so much Lenin, older, but like. Like somewhat topical at the time, but like yeah, maybe a little past. I I don't know the lifetimes of all of those different people, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but no, it wasn't. There's probably a lot of spoofing, um, general feelings in politics and like conservatism, I yeah, want to say, sure. at the time. But like, yeah, there weren't a lot of like, let's take the Mickey out of the prime minister. <laughs> it's supposed to be less. Um, as you said, less less timely, I guess, than that. Yeah, yeah. Going back for a second to that BBC Talking Points article, super helpful, as it turns out. Somebody had posted that the people who don't like Monty Python are generally, or probably, the kinds of people that Monty Python was trying to take the piss out of in the first place. <laughs> I don't know if that's true anymore. Not, probably not anymore, but I mean, like, in the late 60s, 70s, early 80s, I don't know how long... I don't know how syndication works on British TV, if it works at all. But at the time, yeah, I think that probably rang pretty true. Because, like, when I was trying to find why people like to recite Monty Python when I watch it, yeah, all I found was, like, why do people like Monty Python? I don't think it's funny. <laughs> I don't get Monty Python. And someone explained Monty Python to me. Mm-hmm. I found more of that than I did of people celebrating it. <laughs> and maybe that has to do, like... If you really reflect on the career of Monty Python, this is not to to downplay it. One of the articles I was reading was explaining that like there might have been one or two other people that had done sketch comedy before Monty Python. Yes. And part of the appeal of it is when you're watching it, it has this very raw feel because like how do you be good at a thing that no one else has ever done or very few people have ever done? Mm-hmm. But like historically, when you think about it, they did five years of a TV show which was like a 13 episode season, sorry, four years and a half. So like maybe yeah. 26, maybe like a little more than 60 episodes or something. And then you have some funny people make some movies, do some specials, do whatever, do a lot of the same stuff over and over again that people know them for, but not necessarily in a new way. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen a just for laughs, like at the Montreal comedy festival where Eric Idle is literally just doing the photographer sketch. There's nothing new to it. It's literally just doing the same. It's like bringing Charlie Chaplin back. Like, so (laughs) like there's something to them being novel and experimental and unique at the time, but like bringing that forward in time, other people have taken that run with it, done new, different, interesting things. So it very, I could very easily see people being like, Hey, I don't get this. Like this is old person comedy. Yeah. (laughs) This is Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I legit feel like Monty Python are like the Beatles of comedy. Yes, I did see that come up. They are a touch point for almost, you know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who, you know, like comedy or wanted to be in comedy. 
is just the Beatles were for people, mm-hmm. for aspiring musicians. Because like the Beatles, the Pythons were only accountable to themselves. Yeah. They didn't get a lot of network interference <laughs> and stuff like that. They just wrote it. Are you reading <laughs> Zoop's comment? Tricky thing to bring up there, Zoop. Zoop says, you can talk also about John Cleese also hates PC culture. Oh, that's, uh, that's a shame. There's a lot of comedians now that are like, uh, comedy today is awful. These you can't say these things, but I also want to say all the same jokes that I always say because I'm super creative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nah. I feel, but like, very slight tangent. But the field of comedy has broadened greatly, probably because, in part, of Monty Python and like the whole subversion of the norm. All that surrealism, I think, kind of paid off in like. It's probably a stretch and it's totally baseless, but I'm going to say it anyway. You probably wouldn't have acts like Mark Maron, who pretty much just goes up on stage and talks to the crowd for 45 minutes if it wasn't for Monty Python. I almost feel Mark Maron is like the opposite of Monty Python. He's very like vulnerable and, and oh, yeah. conversational, but like absolutely talking about just like them like cracking it open and be like, it's whatever you want it to be kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I can talk about nuts and bolts for a little bit. Just, like, functionally how it worked was when they talk about uh, watching Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and say that they, they would have great sketches, great characters and all that, but inevitably it came to the punchline, and the punchline was not as good as the rest of the sketch. <laughs> so they would just cut out the punchline of a lot of their sketches. <laughs> they would just end them and transition to something else. Yeah. <laughs> So before they were just trying to trying to make something that you couldn't pin down what it was. I don't think a lot of it is like random, like like it's not just like oh, and then a monkey comes out and attack. Like it's <laughs> like I don't I don't find it like literally like drawing things out of a hat and putting them together. Like I don't I don't think of it as a random element, but like it's it's certainly certainly inventive. But I did find out that those who don't get Monty Python mm-hmm. uh, are in good company. Oh. What? Terry Jones has said that he only occasionally found Python funny. <laughs> I mean, he did wind up becoming, if not a, an, an official academic uh, medievalist type, at least a casual medievalist, perhaps a little too seriously uh, seriously minded for all the, the Python-esque yeah, and I believe I believe on that occasion Zoop met Terry Jones. Oh, what? Cool. In an academic. Uh, oh, like a a talk. Maybe not for literally. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Zoop, if you want to share a brief version of that story, and we will uh, share her story. It's true. <laughs> this is true. Okay, thank you. Share that story. I was trying to remember because you were mentioning them not finding it funny and I was trying to remember something that I read. But I think what I remembered reading was that oftentimes because of the nature of the they had to fill like a 30 minutes or whatever, the pythons would like make a joke, hit the punchline and then just keep going because <laughs> they they weren't really sure which part was the funny part. Oh, OK, a little more information that's just in from from Zubador. Beep, 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 beep. Terry Jones's most notable feature is that he took half a second to drink from his water bottle, but otherwise did not stop talking, even to breathe. <laughs> Holy crow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No awkward silences, then. That's good. 
Yeah, Jerry Jones is like, they did it to make each other laugh. Yeah. And then whether everyone else uh, <laughs> enjoyed it, they, they didn't really seem to know. Well, kind of kind of by accident, um, I came across another sketch that wasn't Monty Python, but from some other sketch comedy thing that must have come out shortly after the life of Brian. It's like this little mm-hmm. sketch where it's like a sort of interview between um, a host and then these two people, uh, somebody who made a movie about Jesus Christ, who Monty Pythonists are upset about because they think it's a parody, a satire of their Lord and Savior, John Cleese. So there's the whole parallelism between uh, Monty Python and uh, and the life and times of Jesus Christ and all that stuff. And uh, one of the jokes is that the person uh, on speaking on behalf of Pythonists uh, says that they died multiple times for us. Referring to the fact that in the show, it wasn't uncommon for some skits just to fall flat. Hmm. Like she said, they'd hit the punchline and then just keep going sometimes. And I feel like the audience wasn't so blown away by the joke that they didn't notice them continuing on with it and kind of just going on maybe a little too long. Code Fiji is glad that you did not forget what you were going to say. <laughs> Thank you, Code Fiji. I actually have something to dovetail off of this, I think, which was that maybe <laughs> when some of them did land, it was because, you know, a lot of their humor was, here's an absurd premise, and what happens if you follow logically from that and as a result you obviously get like absurd kind of humor yeah but like mm-hmm. what's funny about the argument sketch it's two people arguing <laughs> but like the premise is you have a department that's devoted to arguing and then you can't tell whether or not like <laughs> the comedy comes apart from all the misunderstandings and lack of clarity which is fine yeah. like comedy is all about subversion of expectations but like you take something relatively simple and like you proceed from there there's one sketch that i really like uh what is it it's they're trying to it's like a heist they're just planning a a heist of like a jewelry store right yeah yeah there's nothing special about it they're just planning a heist and then at some point they're like oh when do we need to do this like three o'clock it's like crap and then they just like forget the plan and throw it away (laughs) and then do something different and it's just like that works is that the one where they're it's like they're planning a heist, but everything they're doing is completely legal. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's the <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sorry. That, that Everything they're doing is legal. And then when the time is wrong, they like get it. They're like, forget it. And they get the guns out and they're going to rob the place. Because <laughs> they're like, I'm sure they're like, because we have to put money in the meter or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of times the joke is like in the premise, like right away. Mm-hmm. But then you stick with that for like five, like the Hungarian phrase book, where people have been handing out erroneous Hungarian phrase books, making <laughs> Hungarian people say very silly things, such as Mahavrakraft is full of eels. That's the only line I remembered from that. <laughs> yeah, but like, so you so you know that, and then, but it just keeps going. You know, mm-hmm. would you like to come back to my place, bouncy bouncy? <laughs> and I'll, like, how much can we wring out of this before people? Uh, People turn on it. Thanks for joining us, Goat. Uh, no, you don't <laughs> often make it. Yeah. Uh, glad to have you here, even for just a little bit, even to help Z not forget yeah, what he was trying to remember. Much appreciated. I think it worked. I think it worked. Yeah. Being completely honest, I could not, like, there have been a couple topics where we've come up a bit short on the research. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. 
some of the the early season where we're talking about Leafs fans. It's like, why do you like the Leafs? Because I do. Screw you. Like that's <laughs> like maybe there's like a pathological element to like team sports or whatever. And maybe there's a larger story about comedy and history and and whatnot for Monty Python. But I couldn't find it. I found that like these people are popular because they're popular because they were. <laughs> It's, they're popular in the way that the Beatles is popular, not because they're necessarily the greatest thing to ever have happened and nothing better will come up, but because they were good at a time and they're still good because people still see their work. In a, in a time before the internet, I think what kept Monty Python going was people getting into high school, meeting all the cool teachers or the teachers who thought they were cool, whatever, no judgment. And those cool teachers being Monty Python fans. Because I, I remember a few teachers at uh, good old Sacred Heart were in Walkerton, Ontario. <laughs> were Monty Python fans. And they would quote lines back and forth to each other. And like they would, you know, uh, not not indoctrinate, but uh, get the students interested in Monty Python, perhaps. And I think before the internet, that kind of transmission is what kept it going. But part of why that worked was because if you're living in a small town and you've got like maybe three channels on TV or maybe like 50 channels, if you've got cable, you're probably not going to be exposed to a lot of like weird, surreal comedy. But then you learn about this Monty Python thing and you can just in the eighties, nineties, seventies, hop down to the video store and rent a uh, Holy Grail on VHS. Not in the seventies. Well, Oh, right. Right. Man, oh man. Gotta remember your That 70s Show history, Z. <laughs> yeah, the VCR being a novel addition to the home where they would not watch TV because it was busy right. recording things. Right. Oh, yeah. Man. man, oh, man. But yeah, this isn't exactly, you know, a perfect fit in terms of, of a quote, but because, you know, the TV show was like relatively popular. It had five seasons. Yeah. But it's like Velvet Underground was not seen by a lot of people but everyone who saw them started a band that's how i feel about monty python like find a comedy show that doesn't have some dna of monty python in it now oh, what you mean sketch comedy not not a sitcom but sketch comedy you know you got your kids in the hall ryan larry snl picnic face a personal favorite yeah snl yeah there's some there. Yeah. SNL started like right when Monty Python went off. Yeah. And it was like, man, watching the original SNLs was a trip. There were like <laughs> two or three sketches. <laughs> like, it was like there'd be like a sketch and then like maybe a fake commercial yeah. and then like a musical performance and then like a weird little Albert Brooks video and then like <laughs> a Jim Henson Muppet thing and then like oh, a comedy bit. Like a stand-up comedy bit, then like another skit. It was it was a lot more of a variety show then. Interesting. I mean, that was that was the thing. Yeah. Into the seventies, not throughout the whole decade, but variety shows were still pretty popular. I think in the uh, early seventies. So. I've only watched so many sketch comedy shows, but I feel like <laughs> all of them, all of them draw heavily from Monty Python. That kind of weird linking surreal feeling where stuff can just end. <laughs> the next time it's trying to take you on a ride that you don't quite know where you're going yeah actually that whole thing you know that whole being taken on a, on a ride and not really knowing where you're going that's why uh one elvis presley was a very big fan oh, oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He uh, apparently he had memorized the the photography sketch. <laughs> What's the photography sketch? It's like, do you want to, you know, take a picture? Hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, oh, <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm bad I just the names I couldn't sketches. put the pieces together. Apparently, he also memorized the uh, the Black Knight bit from Holy Grail and would oh. often recite it. So, I don't know if you would have enjoyed watching the movie in his private theater with MG, but there you go. <laughs> shut up like <laughs> I do like the idea of like taking these celebrities who you know for other completely different things and just having them be enamored with another piece of work like today it's it's weird because everyone is a fan of something and mm-hmm. that's just out on display people are like oh I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who and it's like yeah okay whatever <laughs> yep yeah I mean it's a lot easier to express that now right like not to necessarily be uh, cynical about it, but you can just buy a TARDIS scarf or buy a scarf that's like a recreation of the of the third Doctor's scarf or fourth Doctor. Boy, oh boy. Murder him. You can literally wear your fandom on your sleeve, whereas before, I feel like maybe part of the, the power of Monty Python fandom was maybe you couldn't buy a, a John Cleese or a King Arthur bobblehead to have on your dashboard or at your desk. But... You could, like, quote lines to people who might be in on it. Oh, man. Sorry. Zoop was just telling us that we might have just avoided a bunch of angry fan mail. But because of the delay, I don't know what we did to avoid the (laughs) fan mail. (laughs) We want fan mail, even if it's angry. We don't want to be lukewarm. People people want want them to hate us or love us. (laughs) Don't you need lukewarm water to make, like chocolate you need to like put it in a double boiler or something boy you gotta make some anthropological chocolate i mean we can probably do that hey yeah some silicone (laughs) i think we can do this yeah oh yeah yeah ready for the verdict i think so yeah okay does anyone have any thoughts that immediately come to mind because if not i do i I, oh yeah, you, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me just cut you off there um, <laughs> that's right uh i'm out i enjoyed monty python what i had seen your sketches are funny i find most of them were at least awkward in a way that is endearing and funny <laughs> but i feel like comedy has come such a long way in the past 40 years that i just like different stuff and it's really hard to be super enthusiastic about monty python in particular Something that people are more familiar with quoting ad nauseum. I know. Like, yeah, I haven't seen it all. I probably won't see it all. I don't care to see it all. Um, and like some of the things that like Zoop had mentioned with John Cleese makes me a little uncomfortable. And like John Cleese just being kind of a guy who wants to make a lot of money and not being, you know, I don't really care about that either. So I'm out. Uh, I don't, I don't particularly, it's okay. It's fine whatever all right marty python is your buddy holly Um, (laughs) like weezer's buddy holly or like no 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 no. the guy oh it's an experience buddy holly is a guy who i absolutely understand contextually why he was important but cannot stand to listen to his music (laughs) i mean you you didn't say that you can't stand monty python like you like some bits that you've seen but yeah but like yeah yeah. I mean, I love like, the, the four Yorkshiremen. That sketch is that, amazing. That's a classic. That's classic. 
an underrated classic, maybe. <laughs> it's probably it's not. Underrated. It's probably not in the top ten sketches, but I love it. What is underrated, and I find myself going back to on YouTube multiple times, is a Arthur Tuchet's Jackson. <laughs> not to say any more about him. <laughs> and the sketch where there are a bunch of different RAF British airmen who are all speaking RAF banter, but all their banter is different from one another, and they can't understand <laughs> each other. It's fantastic. Okay, all right. That's my way of saying that I am super in. <laughs> I, yeah, I I grew up loving Monty Python, and I still do. I have seen most of it. Like, there might be a couple episodes of Flying Circus I haven't seen. I've, I have seen the German the German episode. Um, but I, I like it all. I just... I just dig you know their sense of humor maybe maybe it's even nostalgia at this point mm. i'll remember that but like I'll, I'll find sketches that i hadn't watched and and still be laughing uproariously at them be sure to check out bicycle repairman <laughs> especially the end <laughs> but yeah like just the just that feeling of, of of being on a ride things just cutting to other things weirdly but everything is very considered and not random but sort of um uh, Non sequitur in, yeah. in a delightful way. Every now and then, I'll, I'll just get into a little Monty Python jag on YouTube and just uh, start clicking through the sketches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. In. All right. How about you, Z? Um, well, I would say you know one of Monty Python's sticking points, or one of the reasons why it's still around, is that I think it was honestly among the first memes, uh, as far as the modern understanding of that word goes. Yeah. You know, if you define it as a joke or a phrase or something that um, is spread through repetition, because that's pretty much how I think Monty Python spread as far as it did through not just like seeing their their specials or renting those those VHSs from the video store or whatever, whatever the, the even maybe perhaps getting comedy uh, records or tapes from your local library, perhaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like just people quoting it to each other is probably one of the main reasons why it spread as much as it did and i think it's it's probably going to stick around maybe not quite in the same form because it's maybe not as edgy as today's comedy can be or perhaps more usefully as vulnerable as today's uh, comics and comedy can be but uh, speaking for myself i don't know it it seems kind of like that whole uh, idea that they took a joke gave you the punchline early and then just kept going with it could also apply to several movies because when i was watching life of brian about 20 minutes in i got up you know got myself some more water whatever came back and for those first 20 minutes i was like probably laughing uproariously maybe every two minutes but after that first 20 minutes getting up coming back sitting down resuming it was kind of funny here and there but you broke yourself out of it i did i did oh man yeah that's not to say like the point of Monty Python is that they go past the joke no. so long and then it comes back. Like, that's never been one of the things no. that they've done. But like, well, I mean, Life of Brian is more a coherent movie than uh, Monty Python in terms of story. Yeah. But it's still just like a bunch of sketches tied together. Yeah. But like, man, when they go to the stoning and there's that guy selling beards and stuff. <laughs> and then they get the stoning and it's mostly women in fake beards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be uh, number 7,501 on the Monty Python Reddit, 
or anything like that, but I would say I'm in. All right. I'll still watch them on occasion. Still get a good chuckle, good belly laugh, even. All right. Yeah. Guess the cheese stands alone. The cheese shop stands alone. <laughs> I mean, I would like to throw in one one quick quote though that might might be uh, a grade destroying thing to add to oh. the end of a, a personal essay here, but uh, from Christopher Hitchens, a quote about Monty Python and how it works. The essential founding gag of the scheme was the bubbling magma of absurdity that lay beneath the fragile crust of British reserve. At any moment, a man with a bowler hat or an umbrella might become a raving crossdresser or a barking sadist. Whoa. Turn of the unexpected. Yeah. What I got out of that is the Brits are prudes. <laughs> Only on the surface. Yes. Yeah, and poking <laughs> poking that uh, that surface layer is, is pretty much Monty Python was all about. Yeah, fair. The Brits might not be uh, prudes anymore necessarily in the same way they were, but there will always be people to punch up to. Yes, and I think that uh, that means that Monty Python will continue to appeal, although probably to fewer and fewer, as we have stuff like Picnic Face or Kids in the Hall or. <laughs> We don't have stuff like Picnic Face anymore. Well, it'll it'll always live on. It'll always live on. Uh, Nothing on the internet can never die. (laughs) I mean, that's true. All that power thirst I drank is still in me somewhere. All right. Well, maybe inside you, along with the power thirst, we can find a spotlight. Hopefully. Yes. Normally, the spotlight is is a charity or a fan-related project related to this week's topic, and this week, it is still that, except it's not a charity, which it usually is. I found something called Silly Walks, the International March, which you can find at facebook.com slash sillywalkbruno, sillywalkbruno, because I don't know how non-English languages work. And there's a little quote from it, which is, we started doing Silly Walks in Brno, Czech Republic in 2012. After a few years, Monty Python's officials contacted us to spread the march worldwide. We want you to organize the march in your city. Send a message and tell us why you are the one who can handle all the stuff needed to make the silly walk happen in your city on January 7th every year. Which means we kind of missed it this year. Yeah. But But if you're interested in doing that, you should check that out. They have a video link there and there's probably videos from many different years of people doing the walk in Brno and in many other cities and uh it's it's silly and fun and uh, yeah you can take a look at that yes soup power thirst mm. is the friends we made along the way power thirst is love power thirst is life it's true i've always maintained that since day one <laughs> another thing i've maintained is that if you go over to itunes find fanthropological hit the subscribe button you will get a brand new episode every single friday straight into your inbox and to your ears ready for the weekend and as well if you leave a rating and review it helps other people find us and do the same this podcast is fanthropological but we are the next cast and we can be found on twitter instagram youtube and facebook at the next cast just google next cast we're all over one place nextcast.com as a matter of fact as well as patreon right and if you didn't know what patreon is it is a place where you can go to help support the artists that you know and love you can become a patron of the artists that you know and love so if you go to patreon.com slash nextcast not only will you if you become a patron not only will you see all the behind the scenes content that we make any upcoming plans all the 
convention stuff coming up. It is very rapidly approaching convention season. <laughs> Maybe not as of this episode, but I'm planning out the next couple months and slot. But you'll be on the inside track for all of that. And you can help us to keep this podcast ad free. You can help us to continue the convention reports. You can see what it's like going to all these different conventions to meet all these people and learn more about the different projects that they're doing. All of that supported by Patreon. Check that out, patreon.com slash the next cast. Yes. Also, if you are currently listening to this episode in podcast form, thank you very much for downloading it. Uh, it takes a little bit more effort to do that than uh, to click that like or subscribe button. Also, that comment button. Like, Smash comment, that subscribe. button. Smash it. Smash <laughs> it with all your might. <laughs> uh, but also, what you might also want to smash is your address bar in your browser. And you might want to smash that and then type in twitch.tv slash the Nixcast. Uh, if it happens to be 8 o'clock Monday night, because that's when we stream these things live. That's right. So you can come and watch <laughs> us record these podcasts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash the Nixcast. That's twitch.tv smash the Nixcast. Bam. <laughs> Boy, oh man, oh man. This, this thing's really taken off. Ooh. <laughs> All right, well, aside from getting smashed, another reason why you might want to join us while we are recording Phantophological here on Twitch.tv smash the next cast is to participate in the chat. You know, while we're having our general discussion, you can chime in here and there, throw your thoughts into the ring. You could also participate in what is a fan and host favorite part of the podcast, the famous last words. Hey, I'm going to come to that in just a second. This week we have a special treat on Twitch because right now we're playing through The Secret of Mana, which actually came out last Thursday and we started playing it as part of International Fanworks Day. It's kind of like our mini version of our annual event, The Race Against Time. So we're playing through Secret of Mana to raise money for the Organization for Transformative Works. And every Wednesday at about well, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, we're going to be playing through Secret of Mana and trying to beat it. We're going to see if we can beat it in under 24 hours. Yeah. But we're going to play it until we beat it. Mm -hmm. And all the proceeds go towards the Organization for Transformative Works, which does things like the Archive of Our Own, which does fan lore. If you want to check that out, you can go to streamlabs.com slash the nextcast. The money will go straight to them. Uh, and also this week, because I'm going to be in San Francisco next week, <laughs> uh, we're doing a bonus episode, which is really just Monday's episode on Saturday. <laughs> A double dose of Phantophological this week. Double dose. Oh, Zoop. The third character who has to wait halfway through the game. Probably G, because it's going to be just Z and I for the first few weeks. Yeah, I'll see when I can drop in. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to play it by ear. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. You can actually go to the videos page and see us playing. It's a little quiet. We're going to fix that for next time. <laughs> but as he was painstakingly mentioning and i derailed the plot badly i took the the punchline and i drove it to the uh -huh. other end of the through a brick wall and uh, we'll get back to it yeah you can participate in famous last words as well as us last words. so next week or in this case saturday we will be talking about a different fandom we'll be talking about fans of wonder woman the movie, the comic book series, the character, all of that stuff. What are your famous last words? I've got some famous last words here. All right. Oh, cool. I came prepared, so I'll go after you. Cool. All right. Well, 
say what you will about my reasoning here, but but bear with me for one quick second. Wonder Woman fandom, fandom centered around a female character. What other fandom have we done centered around a female character? Barbie. So, my question is, as we found in the Barbie episode that there were some people who had undergone various procedures, uh, workout routines, whatever, to have that Barbie body, what I want to know is, is there a Wonder Woman fan who strives to do the same thing? That Wonder Woman workout. I mean, there is that. But, like, is anybody taking it to extremes? I got you. Yeah. I feel like Wonder Woman as a character in the various incarnations is already more realistic than Barbie. Yeah, there is that. So it's <laughs> it's maybe a question that's not going to go anywhere. But uh... I mean, it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Okay. My famous last words, I have a two-parter, mostly because the first part is going to be answered as part of the research, as it always is. Is Wonder Woman more popular with men or women? Uh. I'm actually curious. I don't know which of the two... Because, like, Wonder Woman, obviously a very empowering figure. But also, like, guys can be really gross. And so maybe Wonder Woman's really popular because she's sexualized or something like that. Or it could be nothing sexual at all for men or women, either way. I just want to know where the where people lie on the thing. I was going to ask, mm-hmm. why isn't Wonder Woman more popular? But then I quickly looked it up and found out that she is on some list, some reasonably sounding list. She's in the top five, and she's in the top three for DC superheroes so like she's part of like the dc big three superman batman one woman yeah yeah i didn't look at the other top five but she was like fifth out of like all comics yeah which still is like pretty up there so i'm like okay forget that the other thing that i wanted to know and because this is mostly because i was digging and that was at what point did wonder woman lose her bizarre weaknesses and was that influenced by the times (laughs) for those not in the know Wonder Woman used to have two weaknesses. One was whenever her bracelets like touched because she was bound, she would become powerless. And the other one was if her bracelets ever came off, she would fly into a rage. Huh. Both of which, like, obviously, if I'd watched the Professor Marston movie or read about the very interesting creation of the Wonder Woman character, I would know that like there's some sort of like submission aspect and some sort of like all sorts of interesting stuff, but I wonder, like, why did they change it, and when, and was that a result of changing times? I'm going to find out next week. Alright. How about this? I'm going to see if there are fans out there who see Wonder Woman as a patriotic symbol. Like an American patriotic symbol. Because she's from Themyscira. She is an Amazon. <laughs> but, nine times out of ten, she looks like a flag. Like the American flag. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So how does that work? Is it, you know, Superman, like an immigrant story? Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on whether she's wearing the the traditional bikini bottoms or the traditional pants, right? <laughs> but that might be getting too far into it. I don't know if you noticed what you said, but I'm pretty sure I heard you say traditional twice. <laughs> traditional is not a word like literally, which means literally and figuratively. As far as I know, I connotations denotations you two are the english people that's right yes (laughs) we literally are (laughs) shutting it down that's about the best way to end this (laughs) thank you everybody for listening 
and we will see you on Wednesday or Saturday as opposed to Monday. But we will see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Anthropological Institute. It's being hit on the head lessons in here. Today we're talking about Monty Python fans. <laughs> it's the next cast, Anthropological. <laughs> it's legit how it ends yeah that's fair that's fair (laughs) hello everybody and welcome back to phanthropological my name is nick g and today we are talking about lovable lads from liverpool